From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. You may have heard someone say, or maybe you have felt, that you were suffering from burnout. Real burnout is a serious state of exhaustion, which makes a person vulnerable to depression and suicide, and in the healthcare setting, it can affect patient care as well. Here to talk about burnout is Dr. Holly Vanderhoff, an assistant professor of psychiatry and the co-director of student counseling services at Upstate. Welcome, Dr. Vanderhoff. Thank you for having me. Well, don't most people, um, especially people with high-stress jobs, don't don't they feel stressed or burned out from time to time? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and I think we might hear the phrase burnout and think it's this pop psychology term that describes something everybody goes through. Um, and I think most of us have days where we wake up and we feel burned out or we may not want to even go to work that day, but burnout as a thing is very different. It's something, something much more severe. So how do you tell um, if someone is really burned out? Mm-hmm. Well, typically what we would look for, and I, sh- I should pause and say, burnout isn't a diagnosis per se. It's not a disorder, but it's a description, right? A description of a state almost anybody could find themselves in. Um, the research on this over decades, especially since the 1970s, tells us there are three major components of burnout. And when we see those in folks, we start to think more about this idea. Um, The first would be the person, as you said earlier, feels emotionally exhausted, right? They feel as if I can't give another ounce of effort to my job. I'm overwhelmed. Um, They may not be feeling especially upset. They may just feel kind of flat and empty. Uh, The second component would be they're experiencing just a sense of detachment, or disconnection from their work and from the people that they work with. So they don't feel especially connected at work with others. They don't feel as if they've got a real identity in their workplace. Um, For folks who work with patients, of course, this is really concerning because um, a big thing about burnout in the helping professions is that we actually lose empathy for our patients or for our clients. Um, And so, of course, that has an impact on patient care. Uh, And then the third component would be a sense of, I I don't even have any meaning in my job anymore. I don't have a sense of accomplishment in my work. I used to feel excited about what I might do. Now I'm not even sure this is in line with my values. And so if you put those three major clusters together, um, that's what starts to look like burnout. When you are describing all of those things, I mean, it sounds awful. Can can someone... I don't recover from all of this. I mean, how do you go about fixing it? Mm, yeah. So, well, I think the first step is is noticing that it's happening because I think a lot of us write it off. Oh, everybody has a hard time. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm weak or I'm not handling it. But I think when we step back, we might be able to see it in someone else before we see it in ourselves. When we step back um, and we notice that this is happening, we can think about what needs to happen next. Um, You know, there's some research on what promotes burnout because certainly, I mean, we all have the experience too. You can work really hard, high, high stress environment, and not get burned out, feel exhilarated, feel good about your work for a long time. What promotes burnout? Well, the the research would tell us if you're working, yes, in a very high demand, high stress job, but also having a relatively low amount of control over that stress. And then also being in an environment that isn't supportive in some way, either the the employer isn't particularly supportive, your coworkers, I don't know, they stink, they're not supportive, um, or you're working in an environment where the people are fine, but it's not efficient. You don't have what you need to do your job. And so when we put those things together, we know burnout is more likely. Fixing some of those factors is what I think is the best prevention, the best treatment once it's underway. 
there are individual strategies too that we could talk about. But well, what do you say to someone who, if someone came to you and said, "I, you know, I've, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't feel like people, you know, I'm, I'm detached from my work, mm-hmm. and I don't really have, you know, a sense of meaning or purpose." Um, what would you say to them? I mean, where do they go from there? Mm. Well, first, as a mental health professional, I'm going to want to assess further. Is this depression that also happens to affect work because there's such an overlap between the experience of burnout and depression. But if I'm talking with someone and I'm hearing that they feel pretty connected to their families, when it's the weekend, their mood is much better. This is really a a professional state of being. I'm more likely to think about burnout. And so we'll go in that direction. And so some things we would talk about would include, um, Boy, it's, you know, it's the most boring thing, right? But the most basic stress management. Are you managing your stress well? If your job's creating a lot of stress, we are not, you know, magical, infinite reservoirs of capacity. You know, you need to be uh, managing your stress and, and refilling your capacity. So are you doing things like sleeping well? Uh, We can give a lot of lip service to eating well, but are you actually doing it? Are you exercising regularly? Um, A big one is are you taking meaningful time off away from the work? So even if you love it on some level, are you stepping back from it? A lot of folks will say, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I come home and I watch TV for hours or I take breaks at work. But if you're taking breaks and just staring at a screen or you're not doing something really rejuvenating, it's not very meaningful as time off versus I plan that every Friday afternoon I go for a nice long walk or I take an extra hour off or I plan vacations. So we'd be talking about things they could do to to manage that workload differently. Because just watching TV is not really, you're not like engaged in another thing. Mm -hmm. You're just sort of... Zoning out, yeah. Wow. So can have you seen, can people turn it around? Can they come back from a burnout situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- that does usually involve changing something about their work lives. Because by the time someone, say, gets to my door with this as an issue, uh, it's kind of entrenched. You know, people aren't coming in if they've had a day or two of not wanting to go to work. It's usually months or years of feeling this way. So it may mean something like, looking for different work, or it may mean trying to remember what first felt valuable about this job and why you took it and finding ways to reconnect with that within the workplace. It might mean going to your employer with ideas about what could be different. Most people who are working in a system could tell you a lot about how that system could be improved. Employers aren't always good at listening to that. Um, So trying to make changes and then doing, again, a lot of the self-care things on the outside does help people and they, they can move out of this. Do you see burnout in students? Not Mm -hmm. necessarily from work, but from their course load or their student. Absolutely. And especially those students who are going on into, say, medicine or law careers, Um, people who are preparing for careers where there's very high demand and the stakes are very high. Others' well-being is dependent on you doing your job very well. So, for instance, in medical students, we see that burnout is is extraordinarily high. So is depression. Uh, The rates of suicide and depression for medical students are much higher than they are for folks who are not medical students, right? Same age, Mm -hmm. but not in medical school. Um, So I do see it. I work quite a bit with students uh, preparing for nursing, um, work in the sciences, medical school, of course, health professions. and, And you do see that in students. And it continues, especially for medical students, of course, physicians, depending on the research you look at, the research will say physicians are burning out at about a rate of 50%, right? So that, of course, has serious impacts on, on patient care. And is it true um, after, after you're a medical student, you go into a residency mm-hmm. for part of your training? And is it true that suicide is the number one cause of death among 
male residents and the number two cause of death among female residents? Yeah, I was stunned when I read that figure. It's um, a gathering from the ACGME study of all the causes of resident deaths, and I believe that study went from 2000 to 2014. So for a 15-year period, over a 15-year period, suicide was the number one cause of death for male residents. That's ahead of accidents. These are young uh, men who are should be statistically pretty healthy and are, but um, killing themselves at, at that rate. Yeah. And number two for women behind, I believe, carcinomas. And ACGME, we should say that's the Graduate Medical Education mm-hmm. Organization. So when you talk about burnout in the medical professions, um, do you see it more in physicians or nurses? Hmm. That you see it more in one versus the other. I, I, they, it's an issue with both. I think more recently, uh, physician burnout is getting more attention, but I wouldn't say that it's higher in physicians. You know, they have very unique roles in patient care, and I, I would wager as an outsider that they're they're equally stressful in their own ways. What about the um, specialties? Are there certain medical specialties that see more? Um burnout? Mm -hmm, Certainly. So people who are in specialties that require, have a high, um, high involvement with critically ill patients. And again, remember what we said earlier, not only just a high demand, but also lack of control over that. So if I'm working in the ER, I'm an ER doc or critical care nurse, I can't control who's coming in um, or at the rate at which that happens. I have to respond. I have to do really well. Um, So a specialty like emergency medicine would be much higher than, say, dermatology. Not that you can't burn out in these right. other areas as well. Um, but but yes. it's a little more scheduled and mm-hmm. ex- you can plan right. And, right. and things. Wow. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about how burnout can potentially affect patient care. Sure. Because that, um, you mentioned uh, decreased empathy. Mm-hmm. And in, if you're in a caring profession, that's huge. Right. Um, are there other things that you look for? Mm-hmm. So we know that Uh, And again, people might say, well, burnout, everybody feels bad about their jobs. Well, this has a serious impact, right? So if, if, for instance, 50% of physicians are burned out at any given time, that's a staggering number of people who are treating vulnerable patients. Um, So the patient's experience might be that they don't feel especially heard or they don't feel responded to, that's problematic. Um, Also problematic, as research tells us, physicians or medical students and residents who are burned out are much more likely to make medical errors. They're more likely to falsify clinical data, perhaps even saying, well, I performed, okay, I don't remember whether I did that or not. We'll say that's normal in the chart. Um, The students who are burned out are more likely to cheat on exams. Both physicians and students are more likely to say, at least in research, I might engage in more unethical activities um, when they're burned out. So that's that's a huge impact, right? And so we also know across settings, not just in medicine, that burnout means more employee absenteeism uh, and more turnover in the workforce. And those are those are big problems for employers. So we've talked about some of the things individuals can do. Are there things that employers um, or an institution can do to sort of head off um, burnout for their employees? Absolutely. And, and again, I think prevention is the goal. But if we can't reach that, employers could take, first, we could acknowledge that this is an issue, right? And it's not just an issue for people who can't handle it. Um, it's an issue for even extremely bright, resilient, well-prepared people. It's an issue. So if employers acknowledge that and launch programming to help um help their employees recognize when they might be burning out, provide them avenues for getting help early on, um, provide 
you know, on-site stress management opportunities, have a gym in the workplace, have, um, have some regular time off available. Um, don't just vote. So I know they at one point shrank residence hours, right, in an effort mm-hmm. to reduce burnout. But of course, if you don't reduce the workload, then now we're just asking them to do more work in shorter time. You know, so meaningful uh, change is what's important. I think the other major issue, and this is especially a problem in the medical field, is the stigma around any kind of mental health issue. And so although burnout is not a mental health issue per se, uh, it, it, it can feel really difficult to talk about it. I might feel very weak or, or as if I should be ashamed of myself if I talk with my colleagues or my employer about being burned out. So if employers could work against the stigma of getting help, that too would be really helpful. Yeah. If we could accept that this is a risk, right, an inherent risk of working in certain fields, and we all need to work on knowing this when we see it and addressing it when it happens versus having it go underground. Wow. How do we get rid of that stigma? Because, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. And that, I mean, that causes people not to seek the help mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's, of course, a larger cultural issue. And even within the culture of, I keep picking on medicine, right? But even in the culture of medicine, um, if I'm a doctor, I am never supposed to be a patient, right? I'm never, I'm the helper. I'm never supposed to need the help. And I think we laugh at that. We say, well, that's irrational. We know it's not true, but we live our lives that way. And I think we put that pressure on ourselves. So I think there needs to be a, a culture shift that says, um, suffering in some way is not pathology and it isn't a sign of weakness. We can get some of that culture change going by, um, you know, citing that as a value that the, the well-being of our employees is a real value and taking meaningful steps to, to make that clear and to act on it. Um, the culture and the stigma can change a bit just by people being more willing to talk about what's going on for them. So if I'm an employer and I'm willing to stand up and say, um, I've struggled with this issue myself and this is how I over and it's actually my expectation that you'll take good care of yourself to work here. So not just lip service to, we want you all to be healthy, uh, self-care is really important, but really saying it's a professional expectation that you take good care of yourself and then making meaningful ways for folks to do that. I think that would be helpful with the stigma, but we have a long way to go on that. Very interesting. This is a a great topic. I appreciate you being here to talk about it. Uh, My guest has been Dr. Holly Vanderhoff, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry uh, and the Co-Director of Student Counseling Services at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.